1: Welcome back to The Seth Leapson Show. As we head into our third hour, it is a delight and privilege to have with us Hugh Hallman, former mayor of Tempe, attorney in town, civic, uh, civic activist, among other things, educator. We usually close our Tuesdays out with him, and it's a delight to see you again, my friend.
2: I am thrilled and honored to be here. Uh, For those who don't watch the video, this is being simulcast uh, (laughs) on the Internet someplace. (laughs) I was conducting our host uh, by asking him to delay his opening comment by just an extra couple of seconds so you could hear the second uh, stanza, not really, of the uh, opening comment. song. You like it. Uh, I do. As you know, it's one of my favorites, uh, especially when performed by Maynard Ferguson. Uh, but uh, it was it's a wonderful theme song, and your friends have uh, put yeah, that the together for you. Yeah, the Sonus Brothers. This Sonics. is their
1: version of Bur- of Bur- Birdland. Yeah. Yes.
2: I, I've met both Sonai. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and they were performing live uh, with a third person at uh, the Scottsdale Quarter, yeah. and they did a brilliant job. It was wonderful. That's and I hope they do more of that, because it was... An outdoor gig with lots of kids playing in the splash pad, listening to great music, being introduced to great music, people with their dogs, other folks just hanging around. And uh, we had the opportunity to use it to discuss uh, drug abuse prevention. That's right. Um, And that uh, touches in some ways on your monologue. Now, why would you say that? I would I would, as I usually use the phrase, commend to your listeners' attention if you did not hear it live, go listen uh, to the podcast for the first hour today, where Mr. Leebson talks to us about the fact that we have a uh, Arizona State University professor and the director of uh, a think tank there um, effectively fired and the think tank shut down. Uh, associated with the fact that Charlie Kirk and Dennis Prager were invited to speak at Arizona State University, and some professors lost their minds. Uh, it is the subject of an editorial in the uh, yesterday's um, Wall Street Journal to describe this horror to us a horror uh, me and Seth that is, and I suspect many others because we are so fervently uh ad- admire the Constitution and the right of free speech and the need for our society to have that feature in it so that we can all argue in the public square about what makes this a great country, how to make it better, Uh, because those of us, at least on the conservative side, don't think it's perfect. We do think it's excellent, but it can be always improved. Uh, Just as those who on the left would now assume that the country's founding was 1619 and that The the scar of slavery is the entire founding ethos of this country, which should be put aside. We instead think that from 1619 to 1776, the human uh, uh, adventure continued and improved. And 1776 got us the Declaration of Independence that did tell us that all men are created equal and ultimately was the basis for Abraham Lincoln fighting through the Civil War to prove it with those on the northern side who did not support slavery, uh, were a majority of the country, a majority of the territory, uh, succeeding and winning. That's right. The winning side were people who opposed slavery, not, as liberals would now tell you, uh, the losing side, that somehow that they marked the de- definition of what is America. It's nonsense. But that is, in essence, the core of the depression I feel these days, and maybe the depression you feel, That so many important principles are under attack, especially by the left and our media that is supporting those leftist views and our universities that is teaching it. So, ladies and gentlemen, please do take a listen to the podcast uh, of the first hour for the monologue if you did not, because Seth goes through a list of what ails us. using that editorial and that the, the uh, challenge that arose by having someone who sought to bring a different perspective to a university campus and ultimately be fired for it. Uh, and he raises things like how the COVID uh, crisis was used to as an, in my view, an experiment to see how far we could change our society and get people to lock themselves down and behave like sheep. Uh, we saw how, uh, Consistently over the last 60 or 70 years, folks on the far left have failed to predict the future, like Paul Ehrlich saying that uh, our entire world was going to end because of overpopulation with his uh, text, The Population Bomb. And yes, he was wrong. Equally wrong to those who predicted that Ronald Reagan was going to cause this nuclear annihilation because of his conservative views and his uh, diligence in negotiating with the Soviet Union on the premise that either it would reform and allow those people who live there to exercise some freedom of their humanity or it would collapse. And ultimately it did collapse. The only time in recent times that we are facing nuclear challenge is with President uh, Joe Biden failing to signal to Vladimir Putin soon enough that we would be quite serious about his invading Ukraine, failed to signal that, frequently, uh, like his predecessor teacher Barack Obama, turned a blind eye to things like uh, the Russians taking over Crimea, uh, which violated a treaty that the Soviet Union had signed with the United States. Actually, Russia had signed at that moment, that allowed Ukraine to give up its nuclear weapons, allowed Belarus to give up its nuclear weapons, had uh, Kazakhstan uh, two years before give up their nuclear weapons in exchange for us protecting their territories. And instead, fine, Barack Obama turned his blind eye to it. Uh, The Russians took Crimea, and then Joe Biden, his stooge uh, as president, did not let Vladimir know not to roll into Ukraine. Now we face nuclear challenges because Vlad has now sent nuclear, tactical nuclear weapons, to Belarus. And the lovely leader of Belarus is making all sorts of bellicose noises about using those very nuclear weapons if prompted to do so. That's the world in which we live. And domestically, we now are facing, as your editorial or your monologue notes, we have a fiscal crisis that we spent for the cure of COVID more money under two presidents, yes, Donald Trump and, and uh, Joe Biden, spent more than $6 trillion, more money than we, the United States, spent in entering and defeating the Nazis and the Japanese in World War II and cleaning the place up thereafter. And what did we get for it? What we got was significant corruption, perhaps amounting to nearly a trillion dollars in corruption. Imagine that when you've got wheelbarrows loaded with money that you're peddling down the street and the uh, dollars are blowing out, you get a lot of people who are attracted to that who seek to do ill. In addition, we have runaway inflation. How did we get here? Well, if you listen to the left media... We have runaway inflation not because Joe Biden continued to turn the taps on even more broadly because he didn't want to be late to the party rewarding his friends uh, that he likes on his side of the aisle with all kinds of extra trillions of dollars. You would hear from the left media now that it's because people keep spending. Individual households are spending too much and demanding increases in their wages to keep up with inflation. That's the problem. It's not the $6 trillion including the $2.3 that Joe Biden added to the COVID bailouts after we had already turned the corner and things were improving. So now we have this horrific problem with inflation, undercutting our most vulnerable in our country who are on fixed incomes from Social Security or other pension kinds of programs, uh, the retirement they may have set up for themselves and Families with not enough resources now fighting to stay in the game and hang on to what they've got. That runaway inflation is driven not because you and I seek to better our lives, work harder, make some more money, but because the U.S. government has been pouring trillions of dollars into an overheated economy already, and there's been nobody there to stop it. And when we come back, I want to talk about a concept that I considered 25 years ago, As the means by which, during our Reagan administration years, the president could perhaps have an opportunity to limit spending when Congress could not. And the incentives that Congress, congressional representatives have, House and Senate, to dole out more and more and more money to their friends, to their constituents, that is how the game works after all. Uh, as uh, to steal from P.J. O'Rourke, now deceased, his book, The Parliament of Whores. The Parliament of Whores. It is the fact that Congress is filled by people whose entire job is to benefit their particular constituency back home. And the best way to do that is to hand them big piles of money. How do we fix this problem that arose because we enacted a constitutional amendment to allow the federal government to impose an income tax that generated Trillions of dollars now that gets to be handed out, and leading this nation to bankruptcy. If you don't mind, when we come back, I'll maybe start that lesson.
1: No, I'd love it, and we'll throw in a little Milton Friedman as well. Oh,
2: I'd love that, Uncle oh, right. Milty. Great, Uncle Milty, the other exactly. one.
0: Hugh Hallman and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson
1: Show. Hugh Hallman is my guest, attorney in town, former. Um, Mayor of Tempe and city councilman, and uh, educator, builder of education institutions and other nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, Hugh, you were you were getting us into our our, our, our disastrous but budgetary situation, fiscal situation. You were talking about inflation. And I, I just thought it might be fun to take a stroll down memory lane about lessons we haven't learned quite yet um, or at least accepted quite yet from Dr. Milton Friedman and then go into the solutions if you don't mind. Would that be fun? I think I the think audience be would great. like it. Yep. So he was asked by a student uh, about the causes of inflation. And if you'll permit me, I think I can get us just about there. He's asked if he'd like to address it or something like that. Let's see
0: yes <laughs> fast, if you'd like to talk about it. unfortunately it is one of the defects of our political system that we always put a secretary of the treasury and other high government officials into a position in which when they make public statements they are almost driven well what's the word i want to use i want to use a polite word equivocate secretary blumenthal knows as well as you and i do that inflation does not come from trade unions. That doesn't mean that trade unions aren't grasping. Of course they are. But they don't produce inflation for one simple reason. They do not own a printing press on which you can turn out green pieces of paper. The only such printing press is in Washington. I say printing press, of course, in the modern age, we do it in a more sophisticated way. We use bookkeepers and accountants and computers... But it comes down to the same thing. Inflation is made in Washington because only Washington can create money. And any other attribution to other groups of inflation is wrong. Consumers don't produce it. Producers don't produce it. Trade unions don't produce it. Foreign sheiks don't produce it. Oil imports don't produce it. What produces it it's too much government spending and too much government creation of money and nothing else. Yes,
1: sir. Pretty simple lesson that we—he's been—he's been trying to teach that lesson uh, since I guess probably 1965 at, at minimum, and, and continues we still haven't clearly, grasped it yeah. Yeah,
2: continues to do so clearly from yeah, the grave yeah. uh, because his his genius lives on and uh, it it should not be lost on anybody that I'm. Uh, like Seth, a Claremont Men's College uh, graduate, where I spent a lot of time with economists who understood how the world works, went on to the University of Chicago, where, yes, I got a law degree, but I also studied finance uh, at the same time. And I cannot get away from uh, that the folks I got to study with, and then practiced law, ultimately, with economists from around the country uh, who understood how things worked. I cannot get away from the complete logic of the the discussion points I learned that uh, left economists want to create ideas that somehow uh, are, frankly, contrary to the human condition. Our founders of this country understood that we are all... Um, as individuals self-interested I didn't say selfish I said self-interested and that we try to t- do things that carry forward what is in our self-interest that can include charity I'm motivated a lot by charity because my mother taught me that that's a value and as a result giving away money has the same value to me often as spending it on something that I, I might otherwise like for example so being uh, being self-interested doesn't mean selfish in addition in, an, in, in a universe in which we now can celebrate the 300th birthday of Adam Smith. It is this month, 300 years, in which the man who writes The Wealth of Nations is explaining human behavior and understanding how we interact with one another in the economic world. And that gave rise to an understanding of what we now call capitalism in a way that our founders, including uh, Thomas Jefferson, by the way, who owned two two original uh, copies of Wealth of Nations, that they studied these concepts and that was inculcated into our Constitution. All of these concepts were floating about. Wealth of Nations being written in 1776, effectively, so that by the time the Constitution is written and the Declaration of Independence had been authored the same year, that we end up with these ideas congealing into our Constitution. That says that we will make everybody better off, everybody better off, bar none, as long as individuals are allowed to pursue their own self-interest, and that we then, as even Adam Smith understood and capitalists understand, if you can control the evil side of things that we as economists now call things like moral hazard problems, where I have a self-interested opportunity to do something that I benefit from that harms you. That's why we have the Clean Air and Water Acts, because people who want to create machinery blow lots of smoke into the air that I have to breathe. That's not fair. And we solve those kinds of problems through collective action, meaning government can take action. But we have to be careful of government taking action because it can overreach. And as Dr. Friedman was explaining, the greatest way in which it overreaches and it satisfies the personal incentives of congressional representatives is to turn on the the, the literally the printing press of the US government and print out more money that is then chasing the existing goods that ex, that that happen to be in the universe and that drives up prices we can create more labor i can get off the couch and work a few more hours the producer can create more stuff by getting people to work harder by taking materials and creating something from that none of that creates inflation it creates products that people can then buy people have dollars And it is the consumer in some ways who has caused this inflation, and I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, because the federal government handed $6 trillion out the window that it printed off the printing press on brand new pieces of paper, turned them green, and now we're all spending those Ben Franklins. Banded stacks of Clevelands got floated out the door that we're all all, uh, spending. (laughs) And yet we get headlines like this. This from the uh, Congressional Republican office. Less than a dime of every dollar in Biden's COVID spending went to fighting COVID. 10%, 90% it went out the window for all kinds of crazy stuff. After $6 trillion in COVID spending, the Biden team is still complaining about a lack of pandemic funds. That was in a recent uh, news story, uh, and it is true. And yet we have inflation that is now being blamed on the consumer. What we actually have is a problem of the federal government not being able to control itself. And again, we have congressmen and women, Senate and House, Republican and Democrat, independent, all of whom have an incentive to satisfy the people back home by getting them, oh, I don't know, the reserve for protecting blue animals that live next to the river by Sky Harbor trillions of dollars like that spent. Now we don't have the tools to control it. We need a means by which our Constitution can now protect us from the damage we've done to that very Constitution to create a system in which the government can take things you create, your money, put it into the Treasury, spend that money, and when not satisfied by that system, print even more, undermining the dollars you did create.
1: When we come back, let's talk about
2: Actually, the, get to the substance. Yeah, about no, that? we'll get
1: to the methods on how we can do something about it, because various proposals have come and gone. Some have been held constitutional, some on. Un- and I know this is something you've been working on for a long time. So let's talk about that when we get right back. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Hugh Hallman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh Hallman, always making my job the easiest job in the world. I love having you here, sir. Thank you for doing this with us and walking us through the causes and hopefully some solutions to not only... Uh, inflation, but uh, the budgetary pro- problems that we're facing fiscally and um, politically. You've been at this a long time. You've, you really ought to be teaching courses on this. My gosh, the last two segments were a wonderful seminar. Go to it, Hugh. What do we do?
2: So we have a, a problem with our U.S. government being able to print money, and we have 435 men and women in the House and 100 in the Senate plus minus a couple if you want to pretend that there are other places that uh, have senators and house of representatives members the shadow the shadow <laughs> members but they all have an individual incentive that they want to get more of that federal budget brought home to their constituents so they can get reelected that is a that doesn't isn't a pejorative way to describe this it's just that that is a reality and that the the uh, even the most conservative of our uh, representatives Find ways to get money to take it back home and get credit for it. Let me give you none other than J.D. Hayworth. J.D. Hayworth was a budget hawk like others of that time. And yet Arizona State University, speaking of them earlier today, really appreciated him because he was the best at getting earmarks and other uh, bits of money identified in the budget that then could flow to Arizona State University for its various projects uh, to the point that you would have thought J.D. Hayworth, some people called him the gas bag, who was as hardcore right at the time as you might get, harsh on the border, all kinds of things. And yet the Arizona State University uh, administration that still exists lauded him and appreciated him for his ability to drag more dollars to Tempe. That's a reality. So even the most conservative of our members still have an incentive to find money. Well, that means if you multiply that times 535, you end up with an out-of-control budget. Well, for the last 150 years, probably since Ulysses S. Grant, presidents have sought to use a power called a line-item veto, that they could take a budget and scratch out things that they did not think worthy of doing or that arguably helped their enemies, let's say. Well, that's one of the incentives. Now, the president has a different agenda than some members of the House, at least if you go by party lines, at least currently about half of them. And so the president, arguably, some would say, would want to benefit his friends or her friends and uh, punish his or her enemies, including those people who are in Congress who might have gotten dollars jammed into the budget. So presidents have sought this power up through Richard Nixon, actually exercising it during the uh, long night of inflation. Then that ultimately got worse and worse under uh, Mr. Carter.
1: This was impoundment. And that that's correct. Debate. It was right. called
2: yeah. impoundment and uh, ultimately was deemed unconstitutional. Well, presidents kept seeking that power uh, in George Herbert Walker Bush, George W. Bush. But Bill uh, William Jefferson Clinton got that power. Congress enacted a a line item veto power that allowed the president of the United States to X out spending that was in the budget. And as I recall, I think he exercised it something like 80 times before it was struck down in Clinton versus the city of New York because the city of New York had some nice earmarks and other good goodies that they wanted in the budget. And they, uh, the city of New York then sued the federal government. Bill Clinton being the president got to be the name item in it. And the court eventually struck it down six to three, saying with six justices, essentially, that giving the president power to strike items out of the budget was breaching the walls of the separation of powers, among other things. The the um, minority on the court said, no, 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 that doesn't do that. You've got this balance. But during that entire period, as I was thinking through how this could be done, uh, I'd proposed in the late 80s that we do it in a way that actually balances the power that everybody can recognize. And I call it the line item balanced budget amendment. And what that would mean is, as long as Congress balances the budget, now we can argue over what that means, but... In fairly short order, if Congress can balance the budget, there is no authority for the president to do anything. But if Congress cannot balance the budget, then the executive branch now can take a whack at getting that budget balanced. And if and to the extent any funding is overridden or excised by the president, the Congress then can override that specific veto. Well, comes now January 9th. We have part of this concept coming forward in House Resolution 10, A joint resolution under which a concept for a balanced budget amendment could be passed by both houses of Congress and three-quarters of the states. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about how that happens and the detail of this and why I don't think it's quite right.
1: Okay, good, good, good. Hugh Hallman and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson show. Hugh Hallman is my guest, former mayor of Tempe city councilman attorney. You were talking about your idea of a line item balanced budget amendment, and you were talking about a current proposal that I guess is floating around Congress right now. And you wanted to do the merits and demerits of that a little bit. Yeah,
2: I think that's right. And, uh, let's go back to the fact that Bill Clinton got a line item veto act out of Congress, uh, which were Republicans in Congress providing a Democrat president the opportunity to line item veto their own stuff. That recognizes that conservative Republicans have the same problem liberal Democrats have. There is an incentive to get money. And if you get the money, you can still get the credit, even if you go, oh, uh, that dirty president knocked it out. I'm really, really, really sorry about that. What was me? But the challenge with that uh, line item veto act is as is want in a congressional action. It is something like 15 pages in the uh, records law. Uh, it was passed on April 9th, 1996, and the Supreme Court ultimately issued in 1997 Clinton uh, v. Uh, the city of New York an opinion that said, no, you can't do it. It's unconstitutional. That that act by Congress uh, un offends the Constitution. Well, that's why you need a constitutional amendment. The court has now made it impossible. It could have ruled the other way that the that Congress through enactments could pass power to it does all the time, all kinds of executive branch authorities to do all kinds of things to us. Uh, hire more, uh, IRS agents to come snoop, snoop up your, uh, well, uh, in, through your tax return. <laughs> and at the end of the day, that means you have to have a constitutional amendment given the, what the courts ruled. And, uh, the concept that I'd kicked around with others uh, decades ago was not just that you have a line item veto because that does provide the president the immediate opportunity in any context to exercise power. Why not put the pressure back on Congress as well, that if you want to keep all of these items in this budget, you just have to balance the budget. And if you can't, then the t- baton gets passed to the president. It doesn't have to be very long. In fact, the House resolution, the joint resolution, uh, January 9th, 2023, um, from Representative McCormick, is quite short. I can even read it entirely. And it says in approving and signing a bill or joint resolution that is presented under Section 7 of Article 1, that is the budget items, the president may reduce an appropriation in such bill or joint resolution and such bill or joint resolution shall become law with such reduction incorporated. 2. If the President reduces an appropriation under Section 1 of this article, then, not later than 10 days after the date of such reduction, the President shall notify the House of Representatives and the Senate of the reduction. 2. The House of Representatives and Senate may consider disapproval of such reduction, that is, Overriding that line item veto. And three, if two thirds of each House votes to disapprove such re- reduction, the amount of the appropriation in law subject to such reduction shall be treated as returned as the amount originally presented to the President. I would add that that kind of a concept only becomes effective. If Congress can't balance the budget and it puts back into the hands and the responsibility on Congress to first take a shot at balancing the budget and then anybody complaining that they're passing the power on to the executive branch has to face up to the fact that we are demonstrated to be in a crisis. I would articulate yet again my premise that we're here because while Madison crafted a constitution that limited the powers of the federal government. And did so leaving plenty of room for the states. When we passed, when that that is the U.S. passed the constitutional amendment to allow Congress to impose an an income tax. Oh, it'll only be tiny. It'll be a couple of percent and only on the richest people. Now here we have most of us in the universe spending 10 or 15 percent of our income earned. The reason the system is set up the way it is that you get a W-2, you get a net check. The taxes are taken out before you get that check. Why? Because they don't want you ever thinking that the money that has been taken from you was yours in the first place. And most of us have been acculturated to that theft. And I will call it that. As I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master. Abraham Lincoln. That is to say, you go out and you earn your money. However you do that, you have a small business, you work individually, you're a waiter, you're whatever you might be. That is your labor. If it is your wealth, you put it to use. That is your property. So you have labor and property being put to use in this country. And the proceeds of that effort are then taxed. Now, do I believe we should have a tax system? Yes, I do. Why? Well, I spoke in an earlier segment. We have free rider and moral hazard problems. What do I mean by that? Well... I have a desire and an interest in shooting guns through my backyard. They might strike someone. We need a police force that will preclude me from killing people when I shouldn't be allowed to do that. Now, we can argue about what that line is, but my point is there are all kinds of reasons we need government. And that is why we together, under the concept that Hobbes and Locke articulated, we come together in a society and contract with one another to say, here are the rules we're going to live by. Now, does that actually happen? No. We formed tribes and we formed groups and we, you know, ended up with societies like the United States, a bunch of people who were already here, a bunch more people who poured over here and said, this is the deal. And we ended up with a Constitution. That is one of the few times in human history where it was done that way, where literally we had people coming together to write that rule book. Rare to have ever happened before then. We know what happened, uh, so they say, in Athens. didn't last very long, 42 or 46 years, I forget the number. But here we have one that's lasted a few hundred years. But we've tinkered with the rule book. we tinkered with the Constitution. And in tinkering with that Constitution, have warped some of the frame to put us in a position where now 100 years later, 110 years later, we are on the verge of not only stealing massive amounts of Earnings from people who earned them through wealth, their property, or through their efforts. But we are now spending not only all of that money, but not being satisfied with the amounts we have taken from people, have gone out and turned on the printing press, and churned out massive trillions of dollars more, which means every dollar you earn is worth that much less. If I earn a dollar from Seth, but the federal government comes along and hands him another dollar, it just cut in half the value of the dollar I earned. That's what's happened to us. That's what is inflation. Inflation is when the same amount of goods and services exist, but you just double the amount of paper. That paper is chasing the same stuff. Now, how do we control for it in some ways? We could actually have deflation, have had it very rarely. The economy continues to grow by means of people adding stuff to it. And the dollars stay constant. So if you double the amount of goods... That is actually deflation, because now the value of each dollar doubles. That can happen in a society, but rarely. Why? Because government has the incentive to keep pushing more wheelbarrows of money out the door. The most destructive example in modern times was the Weimar Republic. The Germans paid off all their war debts from World War I with massively inflated currency, which caused Adolf Hitler to rise. I really don't want to repeat that experiment. Thank you very much, Mr. Biden. So that would be my idea. You take the concept of the balanced budget amendment language that's out there, and you couple it with the requirement that it can only be used by the president if the Congress fails to balance the budget in the first instance. And it puts back into our Constitution this balance of powers, separation of powers, and I think it could save us from destruction.
1: Wow. That was
2: wonderful. Thank you, Hugh.
1: I'll be back with a a closing thought, I believe. Be right back. Well, you think about everything, Hugh, you, you were just saying. Thank you for saying it and putting it and teaching it the way you did. And, you know, a lot of these ancillary problems that flow from it with bank failures and stock market volatility, people are talking about a recession and, of course, this non transitory inflation. Um, an investor asks, Where do I invest my money? Where do I put my money? And we're delighted to report that. One of our sponsors, Y-Refi, has an answer. They have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure, collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, which is based here locally, headquartered here. And I, like they, encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. And you won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. If you play trumpet, they might offer you that because they've got a few there. I've played them. Uh, but when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them and like them so much. And you can, too. y Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888 888- Y refi Eight eighty eight y refi thirty four. One of the things I was just thinking about, when you were talking about all the all this in your proposal, is Adam Smith. You know, uh, dawns on me his his first training was actually as a moral philosopher. This is not just a financial or fiscal problem. This is a moral problem. And as you were talking about the social contract and what we kind of leave in the state of nature, as Hobbes and Rousseau would have talked about it to enter the civil society, you were talking about. And, uh, try to avoid these uh, free rider and moral hazard problems. I was thinking of another theologian moral philosopher that I, I like very much, Reinald Niebuhr. You don't hear his name much anymore. He's hugely popular in the 50s. He's actually – he wrote this for those who know the 12-step programs, he actually wrote the Serenity Prayer um, uh, to his great credit and to well, I think probably everyone's benefit who says it and lives by it. One of the things he wrote in – I think it was his book, The Irony of American History – He said, man's capacity for justice makes democracy possible, but man's inclination towards injustice makes it necessary. And what I was thinking about that in regard to what you were talking about is, yes, it's the Madisonian question, isn't it, about first you have to get a certain control of what you want your population to be. But, and they have to live by those controls, but it's symbiotically important to get the government to live by it, controls as well and justice as well. And it seems to me your proposal is a good, giant leap forward and for mankind to do just that. So thank you for that.
2: Pleasure and an honor, and thank you to your listeners for playing along.
1: I am Seth Liebson. He was Hugh and is Hugh Holman. And um, God bless you all. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. Until tomorrow, class is dismissed